Well, why don't you take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to be in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. At the end of my message, we're going to take communion together. That's going to be a really good time for us to celebrate what Christ has done. But this week, we're also celebrating Thanksgiving. And I know many of you, that's going to look differently than maybe you had expected or, or, or hoped because of everything that's going on. But I still hope that you are able to enjoy some really sweet memories and that you take some time to really reflect on the goodness and the grace of God. You, you, you realize the gospel so that it becomes to the point where it becomes a no-brainer that you're just going to choose to give thanks to God, even if and even though um, things are really hard right now. And we're kind of reminded right now that, that uh, we're not promised that our lives are going to be easy. As we think about Thanksgiving, I think about the the pilgrims in Massachusetts and, and how difficult that first winter was for them as they were facing harsh weather and, and, and scarcity of food and sickness and death and all of that, but they still chose to give thanks to God anyway. Like life just isn't easy. And I'm not suggesting that, that, that our experience our experience may not come close to uh, the kind of suffering uh, that others have had to go through and endure um, throughout history and even around the world. And I don't know what your life is going to be like personally, but I can almost guarantee it's not going to be easy. Life is hard. How do we respond? How do we, how do we, how do we handle that? Like it's, it's, it's especially true for those of us who follow Jesus. It kind of comes with the territory. Life is not easy. And if we're following Christ, if we're, we're trying to be obedient to him, it might actually get harder. We might even have to face some persecution. So the question is not, will you have a nice, comfortable life without suffering? The question is, will you be faithful no matter what? Will you be faithful? Faithfulness is an aspect of the spiritual fruit that God wants to produce in our hearts, in our lives, as we're becoming more and more like Jesus, this godliness that he's producing in us. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and now we're looking at this, faithfulness. This is what it looks like for someone who is like Jesus, someone who is growing in godliness. It's someone who is faithful. If we were to define that, someone, someone who is faithful is steadfast and loyal to Christ. Like it doesn't matter what I'm facing, I don't want to give up. God wants to produce in us this faithfulness so that we're prepared for the future and, and we're able to just kind of live in the moment right here, right now, right where we're at, taking one step at a time, but expecting and knowing that Life's probably going to take some unexpected twists and turns, and, and we may even have to go through some deep, dark valleys. And am I going to still love Jesus and live for him tomorrow, even if, and especially when, it gets really hard? Now, Jesus is not asking us, he doesn't want us to be worrying about tomorrow and its possibilities, but, but, but he does want to prepare our hearts for the inevitable. He even says that in John chapter 16, uh, verse 33, he says, In the world you will have tribulation. Count on it. 
sufferings and trials shouldn't be unexpected. It shouldn't take us by surprise. This is the way it works, living in a broken, sin-cursed world. That's just to be expected. But he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So, so the possibility or, or even the inevitability of, of suffering doesn't need to leave you crippled in, in fear and anxiety and, and worrying about it or, or, or even praying frantically that you won't experience that or trying to avoid it at all costs. We don't, we don't have to live like that. But we also don't need to have like, uh, like this morbid, stoic, defeatist attitude like, well, I just, I guess that's the way it's going to be. Life's just miserable. Like, like we're in Eeyore or something. Like we just expect the worst all the time. No, no, no. Like the, the gospel, Jesus Christ gives us hope and the assurance, he says, that he has overcome this world with all of its brokenness because of sin and death. So yes, life is going to get hard. And all of us are going to die. But there's actually so much encouragement for us to think about those things. When we're able to see and face those realities with the hope of the resurrection. But we don't have to give up. But even if things get really hard, even knowing that it's likely they will, we can be faithful to the Lord. Here's the big idea that I want to show you today in Revelation chapter 2. It's this. Look, note this. Look to our risen Savior so you can be fearlessly faithful unto death. Look to our risen Savior so you can be fearlessly faithful unto death. Let me show this to you. We're in Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to be looking at verses 8 through 11. This is one of these letters written to uh, a church in uh, Asia here. And uh, so let me read this to you, starting in verse 8. These are the words of Jesus written to this church in Smyrna. He says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the words of the first and the last who died and who came to life. Verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So this is uh, one of the letters that were written to these seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And, and Jesus takes the time to address them and, and their situation. And this letter then becomes instructive for us. Uh, so let me give you a little bit of historical background about uh, this church and this location. You can see here, I've got a, a map and you can see uh, the city of Smyrna. Uh, this The city was actually just north of Ephesus. And so it's not far away. Like we're kind of familiar with that. This is actually in modern day Turkey. Okay. This city was very loyal to the Roman Empire, and it also had a, a Jewish population of people who didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. So think about that. You've got these people that, that are really royal to the, loyal to the, the, the empire, and you've got these Jews that 
don't believe in Jesus. And so that's just a recipe for persecution of the early church because they've got these Jews that reject Christ. They're going to look at these Christians as, as blasphemous and, and consider this blasphemous because of their claims of Jesus being deity. Jesus is God. And then you got the Romans that actually looked at the Christians and called them atheists because they didn't give in to all the, 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 the worship of their plethora of the gods. And so they considered them atheists. And so this is not an easy place to love Christ and to live for Jesus and to be vocal about it. In fact, it's in this city, in the city of Smyrna, there was a man named Polycarp. I've got a picture of this guy here. Polycarp was the bishop or the pastor of that church. And he was martyred in AD 156. AD 156. What that means is this is that was only about 50 or 60 years after this letter from Jesus in Revelation 2 was written down by the Apostle John. And some traditions actually believe that, that Polycarp had studied and was uh, taught directly by the Apostle John. So he's just one generation removed from this church that we're reading about right here. This is a church that has experienced what Jesus meant when he said, you will have tribulation in this world. And Jesus even said this, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And they're, they're, they feel that, man. They're living this reality. Now, most of these seven churches that Jesus is, is addressing here in Revelation 2 and 3, most of them uh, receive warnings and, and, and admonishment from Jesus, but not Smyrna. They're actually one of only two of these churches where there's no sin being confronted and challenged and, and, and corrected in this letter. Jesus says, verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Like, I know you're, they're going through it, and they don't have a lot, which is kind of weird because this is not a poor city. This city was actually flourishing in the Roman Empire, often because Rome would reward them for their loyalty. And so you've got this pagan worship of the gods going on here. Business was good for them, except apparently not for the Christians. And so the fact that, that, that the believers in that city were poor means it's likely that, that taking a stand for Jesus came at a really high cost. It's like it's taking its toll. Maybe they were ostracized. They're probably excluded from some of the jobs, some of the opportunities where they could make money in this Roman society. And they're feeling it. And Jesus says, I know your poverty, but you are rich. They may not have a lot of money. But in God's economy, they are spiritually rich. This is a good and faithful church that is, that is living for Jesus, even through hardship, even through suffering. And so that is really an example for us to follow here. I mean, imagine what this must have been like if you're if you're a believer in in Smyrna and and it's I mean you're you're kind of suffering you're going through all of this it might even be a risk for you as you're gathering together on Sunday mornings to worship Jesus and then you receive this letter from the Apostle Paul or Apostle John and you're realizing this is this is a message of encouragement from Jesus. Man, like what has that done to you as you're like this is directly to us like he wants to encourage us. But, but Jesus actually meant for this letter to be read by all churches. So it's an encouragement to us as well. So here's what I want to do. I want to break down our, our big idea into two separate parts. 
Okay, here's the first one that we want to look at. It's this. We want to look to our risen Savior. There's so much encouragement for us here. He says, verse 8, these are the words of the, uh, the, the first and the last who died and who came to life. Who is that? It's Jesus. For believers who are in the midst of suffering and who are struggling and trying to be faithful, the encouragement comes by looking to the person of Jesus and, and seeing his glory displayed in his character and in his actions. It's who he is. He is the first and the last. Which echoes what God had said in Isaiah chapter 44 verse 6. God says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. There's no other God. There's no one. There is nothing, nothing else in the universe that is self-existent except our eternal God. So nothing compares with him. Jesus is God. He always has been. He always will be. And he is absolutely sovereign over all of his creation and history. And he will accomplish his purposes in his perfect timing. And so when you're looking him to him, you're looking to the one who's in control, even over the suffering and the difficulty that you're going through right now. So, so don't lose sight of Jesus when things get tough. And, and don't forget that this moment of suffering that you're experiencing, I know it's hard, but really it's not even a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. And the Lord is sovereign over this. And, and, and that even though he's, he's really busy sustaining and controlling the entire universe, he still cares about you and what you're going through in this moment. And, and he promises that he's going to be with you and he's going to carry you through this with this promise and the hope that one day he's going to set all things right. And there's encouragement for us here. He is the first and he is the last. One author said he will have the last word. He also says he's the one who died and who came to life. Jesus knows suffering more than any of us. Uh, no one has suffered as greatly as he has. He humbled himself. And he came down to us, which is crazy that he would even do that. But he didn't come to be served. He didn't come to live some cushy life like a king who gets to kick back on a pillow while he's got all these servants uh, bustling around trying to attend to his every need and whim. That's, that's not what he came to do. He didn't come just to be comfortable. He entered into our world in a dirty stable. And he moved on from place to place with nowhere to lay his head, nowhere to call home. And he didn't avoid the jeers and the insults. And he went willingly into horrendous torture and a gory execution that he didn't deserve. And what's worse, he was going and drinking the cup of the wrath of God. And he was crushed by his father. And he did that in our place. He suffered for us. Jesus knows suffering. But then there's the good news is that he died. But he didn't stay dead. He came to life. He rose, conquering sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15 says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? It's not there. Suffering and injustice and brokenness and death will not have the last word. 
His resurrection gives us hope. That's the answer for everything that we're experiencing in this pain. We're wondering, how how does this get fixed? It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what he's accomplished in his finished work on the cross and his raising to new life. So when things get hard, here's where this kind of rubber meets the road for us. We want to make sure we keep our eyes on Christ. I was challenged recently. We need to be careful when, when things get hard, we don't want to give in to the idols of comfort. Sometimes it's easy for us to do that. Some of you have maybe experienced some of those temptations. The idols of comfort of like sexual fulfillment or, or food or, or, or laziness and just not wanting to do a lot just because I, I, I just want to be comfort. I just want to feel better right now. And the temptation to even maybe even medicate to try to, you know, make all this discomfort go away or, or drown out all of the chaos with meaningless distraction and endless scrolling on our screens. Like the, We don't want to give in to that. We also don't want to just be anxious or angry and, and try to control things that you really have no hope of controlling because it's impossible for you to fix things. There's only one place to look for hope when things are hard. Look to our risen Savior. Why, why, why do we need to look to Jesus? Well, the answer is the second part of our big idea. The second part of our big idea is this, so you can be fearlessly faithful unto death. So you can be fearlessly faithful unto death. Verse 9, Jesus says, I know, I know, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. Jesus, no, there's comfort there that our Savior understands. He, he recognizes, he, he knows, he understands how we're feeling. But he's also letting them know, like, guys, I know, I know it's hard right now, but it's actually about to get worse. He says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and not, who are actually not. These are uh, Jews that had rejected Jesus as Messiah, so they're not believers. He actually calls them a, a synagogue of Satan. It's significant for us to just remember that Satan is our adversary. He is the enemy. He's the one who's behind this opposition. And so he tells him, verse 10, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, and you're going to be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. He gives them the certainty that suffering is coming. But he also gives them the certainty it's only temporary, which is really true for any suffering or persecution or opposition or hardship that we might face. Because don't forget the victory and the hope of the resurrection. And then he says this is going to be a, this is a testing. This is going to reveal what's actually in your heart. Is there, is there going to be the spiritual fruit of faithfulness? Are we going to see that? As we love Christ and live sent, we have an enemy who's going to try to oppose us, going to try to take us out, going to try to get us discouraged. Are we going to be faithful to Christ? Jesus said to him, do not fear. Don't fear. It's like, I don't know how you would respond to this if, if, 
you were hearing this message, right? Like, like, like imagine if you could, like, like how many of you, if somebody said like, I don't know when, but pretty soon your neighbors are going to hate you so much. They're going to call the cops and they're going to come and they're going to arrest you. And you're going to spend like a week and a half in jail. How many of you would feel like your heart rate would go up and you might lose some sleep over the next couple of nights? So, so if you forget to keep your eyes fixed on our risen Savior, good luck trying to face any suffering or opposition without giving in to fear. But because of Jesus, because he's the first, because he's the last, because he died and rose again, we don't have to live in fear. I know, like, this, this, this message, the reason we're, we're, like, why are we even talking about this? We have so many freedoms that we experience. Like, we don't necessarily have to deal with persecution. But I, I just want so badly for our church family, nobody in our church family, to look around at everything that's going on with the, in, in our nation and all around the world and, and be gripped or controlled by fear. And I'm not trying to be some doomsday prophet or pretend like I can I can predict how all of these things are going out, but it's not uh, it's not unlikely that eventually we are going to face more and more opposition as followers of Jesus in America. Uh, the president of my seminary, Danny Aiken, said it this way: Not only will they say we are wrong, they will say we are bigoted, dangerous, and evil. We will be slandered as anti-choice, anti-diversity, anti-gay, anti-inclusion, anti-intolerance, and eventually more severe persecution and even imprisonment will likely be our experience. I don't, I don't know when, I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's not hard to imagine that things are just going to get tougher and tougher for us to live for Jesus in this culture. And maybe eventually we are going to have to face some persecution. For sure, all of us are going to experience suffering and hardship in this life, and all of us are going to eventually face death. So I think it's important for us to, to go through these things so that, so that we are prepared. It's one of the jobs of the pastors and the elders to try to help disciple us so that we're ready for this. Like We know it's coming. We understand all of this. And as, as much as all of this might sound like such a, a downer for us to talk about, it's actually freeing for us to be able to face uh, the reality of life and the expectancy of suffering and even death, but do it through the lens of the gospel to know that the sting of death has been removed. Fear leads us to do whatever we can to try to avoid suffering at all costs. Like, not, like none of us, we, we, we don't want to go through it. But when we know what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do, we don't have to waste our time trying to avoid it at all costs and, and, and not go through anything. And we can quit worrying about what might happen. And we can take one step at a time and even walk through fire and the valley of the shadow of death without fearing any evil because we know that our risen Savior is with us and we have the hope of the resurrection what he's going to accomplish. So I hope it's encouraging to us in this. Jesus says, be faithful unto death. Are you willing to keep living for Jesus, even if it costs you your life? I told you this pastor here, whose name was Polycarp, just a, a 50, 60 years after 
that Jesus wrote this, he was a man who fearlessly was faithful unto death. And they arrested him and they threatened him and they were trying to get him to disassociate with all of these Christians and they told him to curse Jesus. And here's what he said. 86 years I have served him and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And they kept trying to get him to denounce Jesus and they kept threatening him. They threatened that he was, they were, they were going to burn him alive and, and actually, uh, before they eventually did, tie him to a stake and light him on fire. Here's what he said. You threaten with fire that burns for a short time and is soon quenched. You don't know about the fire uh, of the coming judgment and eternal punishment that awaits the wicked. But why are you waiting? Come. Do what you will. Jesus says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life and the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now I'm sure that, that Polycarp was actually influenced and impacted by these very believers in Smyrna who are receiving this letter and they were faithful to Christ even going through this tribulation and then then years later Polycarp had the opportunity himself to be fearlessly faithful unto death and he died in that fire but he's alive today in Christ and he will escape the second death but Satan and those who don't trust in Jesus will not escape. And so what the gospel reminds us is that our enemy will de be defeated, but our faithfulness will be rewarded. I'm just praying that the, the Spirit of God will produce in us a steadfast loyalty to Christ and a faithfulness unto death so that we can enjoy life forever with our risen Savior. Jesus, would you do this work in us? We want to be faithful to you no matter what it is that we would suffer. Lord, you've told us to even expect it. We are going to have tribulation, but you have overcome. And Lord, we want to overcome in you. We want to conquer and receive this reward of eternal life. We're so thankful that we have the hope of the resurrection that we will one day experience life because you went to the cross in our place. You bore the wrath of God so that we didn't have to. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son so that we could have a right relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.